We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All systems are go. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Van Vliet! So good to see you, my friends. Welcome back to another audio adventure on Insight. I'm CVV Chris Van Vliet, and I know we picked up a lot of new listeners with that Bully Ray episode last week. So if you're new here, thank you. Take off your coat. Stay a while. If you've been here for all 450 episodes, man, that's a big number. 450. Thank you if you've been here for all of those, or if you've been here for one or two or three, we could go through all the numbers. We're not going to, but just know that I appreciate you spending your time with us in the sea of all of the different podcast options. I am so glad that you decide to choose Insight. So this conversation with Santino Morella was recorded the same day as that Bully Ray interview that I was talking about. They were both in Las Vegas with Impact Wrestling for No Surrender and some TV tapings. It was a packed schedule, but I was so glad they were able to squeeze this in. You know, squeeze a little insight into their day. And this is such a good one. Santino is a legend. I mean, how can you not love this guy? In my opinion, he is the all-time best comedic character in wrestling, and He's doing amazing and hilarious work right now as the director of authority, the, the DOA of Impact Wrestling. He's kind of like the general manager role there. But when you think of all the amazing Santino moments, and we talk about a bunch of them during this interview, they all just bring a smile to your face. Santina winning Miss WrestleMania, uh, Santino's elimination from the Royal Rumble in like one second. It's a great story too. The Cobra... Oh, it's amazing. So if you enjoy this episode, you know what to do. Snap a screenshot, share it on social media, tag us so that we can share it out. Santino is at Milan Miracle. Miracle. I'm at Chris Van Vliet. And hey, Conrad1928, thank you for this very kind review on Apple Podcasts. It says, my favorite podcast, CVV is a consummate professional and an amazing host. It feels wrong to use the word interviews. So I'll say his conversations with all his guests are amazing. His questions are thoughtful and often initiate a very insightful conversation. Love listening while I'm driving. Thank you, Chris, for keeping us entertained and keep up the amazing work. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I will keep reading one review as my way to try to bribe you into leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts, or if you listen on Spotify, I know a lot of people listen on Spotify these days, just leave a, leave a rating on there. That one's real quick. It takes a few seconds, but I'll keep reading that one review here on every single episode. 
Okay, so let's do this. Please enjoy this conversation with Santino Morella. Always good to talk to a fellow Canadian. You're, although you're still living there. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually um, moved up north, uh, about an hour and a half north of Toronto, in the, the Georgian Bay region. So it's you know uber Canadian. Um, it's a strong Métis region where the French Canadians and the indigenous population had a great relationship, and it's very historic. And I, we love it up there. We absolutely love it. You were living in Mississauga, so born and raised. Yeah. What was the what was the goal here with moving north? Uh, well, COVID had a lot to do with it. You know, we just kind of got a little just fed up, and, and we just wanted a change. And you know, it was a, it was in our our plan to do that, but it just got sped up. And man, I'm still in the honeymoon stage. It's been over two years. And I wake up and look out in my backyard, and I'm like, I can't believe we live here. It's amazing. What kind of animals stop by? Oh, man, deer every night. We, I put corn out for them. We back onto 500 acres of environmentally protected land. We have a couple acres, and we're like a minute walk from the beach. And uh, this farm, like, you know, like we go to the, the, the farm to get our grow, like our vegetables in the summer and stuff. It's honestly, it's incredible. This is what no one pictures of Santino Morella, by the way. Yeah. Riding mower and, you know, <laughs> yeah, overalls in the summer. Yeah. Very, very different. <laughs> I feel like you can't just say Santino Morella. You have to say Santino Morella. Santino Morella. Oh, that's so good. Did you, were you always able to do that accent? Well, it's funny. My high school, um, like almost my entire high school, all the parents were from another country. So I was a Catholic school. So uh, Maltese, Polish, uh, Portuguese, Italian, Croatian. And um, so all our parents had these funny accents. You know, they all spoke English, but they had accents. So I have like tons of material just from my friend's parents. And that was kind of a lot of my friends even called me out on it. Like, because my neighbor, Sanamagan Ivan, <laughs> is uh, where I got Sanamagan from. And it's literally my next door neighbor. Uh, and it, it caught on. But yeah, I have a, a plethora of material to choose from. I think you might have had. One of, if not the best WWE debuts of all time. Someone was talking about it yesterday. Yeah, there was, people believed it. Yeah. People really believed it. And I can, I, when I watch the footage, I can break it down to the moment where, where I got them. It's when Vince says, you know, you. And I'm like, talking to me kind of thing. Like, the guy, and I, I think I even point to the guy beside me like him. And they're like, no, no, you. And, and the confusion I had was like, is this like, for real me? That was the moment people were like this guy's really coming out of the audience. Yeah, and uh, and so now okay, that's like uh, fifteen years ago, sixteen years ago yeah. in, in April. So there's kids that were ten years old that are now twenty six years old, and they're they're telling me you know, like they thought it was real for years and years and years and years. What's also Vince going? You do speak English, right? And you're like see see see, <laughs> and then the crowd goes into the soccer chant, and they're right behind you, the biggest baby face of the whole night. From just saying the word yes. Yeah. So I was driving to Elizabethtown, Kentucky, and I was in developmental. It was a Friday. And um, Nova, uh, Mike Bucci, called me and he's like, um, Boris, my, my character was Boris at the time. He was Boris, can you speak Italian? And like a month earlier, Dusty Rhodes called this guy, uh, Fearless Jack Bull, hilarious gimmick. It was like, a, like an, past his prime alcoholic, evil Knievel comedy gimmick. And he said, um, you know, can you ride a motorcycle? And he, was, he thought it was someone impersonating Dusty. And he said, nope, because everyone does a Dusty impersonation, right? Yeah. And uh, he's like, well, can you learn to ride a motorcycle? He's like, nope. And, you know, that was the end of the conversation. Then he looked and saw the 203 area code 
Stanford, Connecticut, and had like a heart attack. And Cody was actually just in developmental. So Dusty came down to kind of yeah, see Cody and talk to, this, to this, the class. And he said, if anybody ever calls you and says, can you do something? The answer is yes. You, and of course. And then you better learn how to do it. And like a month later, they call me and they say, can you speak Italian? And I'm like, yes. And then um, after I, I said a few lines, because I used to work downtown Toronto in rush hour traffic. I had a cassette in my car that would just play and like, flip over and play. and fl- So in, in rush hour traffic, I'd listen to this tourist Italian tape. And um, so I said a few lines from the tape. Like I said, vorrei un mezzo chilo di formaggio. It means I want to buy a half kilo of cheese. <laughs> like something you would say at a market. Yeah. A lot of cheese, by the way. A lot of cheese. And um, I could see, I could see them sitting at like a, a boardroom table with a speaker and they're all like, I don't know, like, Sounded good to me. I don't know. And they go, okay, you might, you're going you to fly out tomorrow. You might debut on Monday. <clears throat> so they sent me my passport. Like that day, I flew out. Well, first I went to Borders. And I, I bought like eight DVDs. The bookstore. Yeah. yeah. I, I, down, I bought uh, DVDs for, or CDs for Italian. I downloaded them to my iPod. And the entire flight, I'm just drinking espressos, trying to learn Italian <laughs> on the way there. Um, and that was it. Yeah. Then like, so I got there Sunday morning and then I had a day in Milan by myself and then I debuted the next day. And then like, I come home and like, pack your bags, you're on the road. And so it was zero to on the road. And then I was on the road for like eight years straight. But it's not just that you were believable in your debut. You're in the ring with Vince McMahon. Yeah. Yo, you're yeah. in the ring with Umaga, the Intercontinental Champion. Then you win the Intercontinental Championship. Yeah, it was, it was, I mean. Is it, can there be a more definitive life-changing moment than ever? Like that was just, it just changed everything. It changed my family history, you know, and, and it was an incredible moment. Um, so I, sometimes I, you know, a lot of time goes by without me watching the footage and then I watch it back. I'm like, man, what the heck was I thinking? You know, I remember repeating to myself, you're prepared. You are prepared. You're over-prepared. You, this is what you train for. Why are you nervous when you're reaching the finish line? Like, I mean, imagine running a race and the finish line's coming and you're getting nervous. This is yeah. what we, this was our yeah. goal. And um, yeah, just talking myself through it. And, and, uh, and I guess we hit a home run, you know? So what day do you go from being in the back with everybody else to making the transition to you're an audience member for the beginning of the show? Yeah, so it's funny. Uh, this was in the middle of a tour. So I'm at the hotel and no one's there. They come on that night. So I'm already in my room sleeping. So I wake up. There's like the bus is leaving at whatever, like 10 o'clock, 10 a.m. or something. And I come down to go on the bus. And, you know, I knew some people from OVW. But some people that were in the WWE, they didn't know who I was. They thought I worked for like the, the European office or something. And then, I, you know, I'm just hanging around and, and raw, you know. And, and then someone calls me and says, Vince would like to speak to you. And I'm like, that's you know, the first time I met Vince and stuff. And, you know, amazing experience, you know, puts everything down, turns, you have his full attention and, and just, it was a very good experience. So at what point, like, I imagine you get there with everybody else. Then when do they go? Okay. Well, uh, Santino, you're going to go out in the crowd now. Oh, so, okay. So as I'm walking in the door, I had met Arn Anderson before at OVW and literally like they're walking out of the production meeting. He has his, you know, his papers in his back pocket and, he walks by and goes, hey, kid, you're having a good day? You're winning the IC strap? And walks away. I'm like, IC strap? That means Intercontinental Championship? Like, he, 
did I just hear that right? You know? And then, uh, then someone confirmed it. We had a little walkthrough and then the show starts and then they bring me out to a seat that says reserved. And, uh, and the scene, the crazy thing was when, um, Vince's music hit, everybody rushed the barricade, like four or five people deep. And I'm like, oh my God, he's not going to see me. And I'm like panicking. And then slowly as he's talking, they kind of filtered back to their seats and then Umaga came out and it, it might've been the other order, but they rushed the barricade again. I go, oh my God, I lost my opportunity again. And um, then they kind of filtered back to their seats. And then when he said, does anybody in the audience? And I'm like, Phew! and I was there, I was front row. I think I've got to, you know, nudge someone out of the way, but I want, I want, I had to make sure he can see me. And then he scanned the audience and said, you, that guy. Yeah, and the brown shirt. Yeah. What? I still have that shirt. I'm saving it for the movie. <laughs> what a transition though, because your character was like this badass wrestler to then you became one of the greatest comedic characters of all time. Where did that shift happen? The shift happened. So the WWE universe, uh, as you probably know, they do not like to be force-fed anything. And all of a sudden, this guy comes out of the audience, and you know he beats Chris Masters and um, you know Shelton Benjamin, a sneak of victory. And it's like if he's not fully trained, he's beating the roster. Kind of doesn't make sense. And you know, then there was a pay-per-view in the summer where Amaga was like killing me in, in uh, Houston, and the audience was like, "One more time." And, and like the audience wasn't taking to the initial babyface Santino. That was kind of like just thrust and, you know, into them. So they said, okay, we're going to have to turn him heel. And if, uh, if that doesn't work, you know, see you later, repackage. Mm -hmm. And immediately upon turning heel, you know, Vince found it very funny. And because uh, once I did my first heel promo, I did guest commentary next week, another promo, another promo, another promo, and another pre-tape. Because I actually separated my shoulder, this one. So uh, it was an opportunity to, to, to speak on the mic. And, you know, people that were in Gorilla were like, dude, Vince is cracking up when you're out there. He loves the character as a heel. So if you, if you can pop Vince, you got a, you got a job, right? That's, that's the idea. So Vince, Vince was a fan, and from what I hear. And, uh, I, you know, and there was actually no competition for a long time in terms of the comedic, uh, the comic relief character. Our truth a little bit at the time. He's kind of doing it now, but at the time there was really no no one was like was like Hornswoggle, uh, a little bit, yeah. But on Raw, I was on Raw, yeah, most of the time. So there was for a long time. I just kept quiet and wouldn't draw any attention to it. But there was no competition. There's a whole compilation online of you getting other wrestlers to break character. Oh yeah, who is your favorite to get to break? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, uh probably John. Yeah, Cena. <laughs> When I called him John Cena. And it's funny because people come up to me at like signings or conventions and they're like, you know, we can't call him John Cena. For like, for like the last 15 years, we call him John Cena. And like, it changes the way a lot of people speak to him. But it was just so uh, sudden. Like the pop was just kind of like, he just caught himself. And, but it actually became a goal of mine to try and pop everybody. I feel like you popped Vince during a little backstage promo. A little smirk at least from him. Yeah, yeah, the Donald Trump thing when Santina got fired, I think, yeah. I, I for years, called Ray, Ma maybe I can't even say it now, Ray Mysterio, Ray Mascrio. <laughs> Mastrio. Mascrio. So in my phone, he's actually Ray Mastrio. Where do you come up with these? I don't know, man. I, um, my dad actually will mispronounce people's names. 
And if we have a friend named Kirk, he calls him Kurt or things like that. And uh, I, I guess that's where it's from. The Trailer Park Boys are really good at that too. Um, I appreciate it because I do the same thing. Chris Jericho was doing kind of like that, but more like in an insulting way. Like when Chris Jericho would call people like Kirk Angel, yeah. Chris Benoit, but he was doing it like to insult them. You were doing it like in this like oblivious manner. Yeah, oblivious. That, that, that's, what, that's what makes it funny is that he's, he's not trying to be funny. So at, at what point did you go, okay, well, this is kind of funny. Vince is kind of into this. When do you go all in like, all right, I'm, I'm doing this thing. Whatever they pitch to me, I'm in. Yeah, my, my philosophy was always, if you're giving lemons, you make lemonade. And if this is going to be the character, then, you know, I'm going to be the funniest guy I can be. And you have to be very giving and you can't take it too. You, Santino got beaten up a lot in the beginning and you can't take it personal. You know, it's, it's, it's not, it's a show. It's not real competition. And, um, you know, I was known for being very giving in, in, in matches and in general. Um, yeah. And that, that was really the, the base of it was just try, swing for the fences every single time, whatever you're given, just be, a, I was appreciative from day one. When I first got there, there seemed to be a little bit of a, locker room culture of, of people being uh, dissatisfied, you know, like, uh, you know, well, what's the point there? They chose that guy and, you know, whatever, we're going to do jobs. And, and I'm like, this is the WWE. Uh, I love being here, you know, and this is amazing. I, I was 33 years old when they debuted and I was green and I'm five foot 10. Like I'm already defying the odds of just being here. Yeah. So I was appreciative uh, from day one. And I was super grateful my entire career. And I had people at the end of my career come up to me and say, um, you know, you've always such a pleasure to work with. Like, thank you. You never had a problem doing anything with anybody and you made it really easy and you make it fun. And, and as I'm having an awesome time, like, look, look, this is our job. This is amazing. You know? So I was very conscious of that the whole time. You were really good at getting things over like the Cobra, the, the trumpet, is there anything you tried to get over that you realized after a few weeks, like, no, nah, that's it's not, it's not going to happen? Um, there was one spot we did once that I thought it was funny. Actually, it was funny. But, okay, so the bad guys took the Cobra and they put it on their turnbuckle. So I, I take this horrible heat, just a beating during the heat. And finally, I get rid of one guy and get rid of the other guy. And there's nothing between me and my partner. So I'm in the middle of the ring and he's like, you know, going crazy. It was Brodus Clay going, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Now is the time. Go, 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 go. And I look back at the Cobra on the heel turnbuckle pad. And I'm like, he's like, forget the Cobra. Just come on. And I'm like looking back at the Cobra, looking at him, looking at the Cobra. And I'm like, and I go get the Cobra and I turn, boom, and they stop me. And the audience was legitimately so disappointed with that decision. <laughs> That they didn't even laugh. They were like upset. And then I came back and, and Messina's like, well, you know, that failed kind of thing. I'm like, no, that's funny. Like, like anyway, a year later, I was in the same place. It was a European tour. It was Minehead, England, like the last day of the tour. So I tried something funny. And then I did it again and they laughed. So I, I knew it just, <laughs> I, they got it the second time. Where did you come up with the Cobra? The Cobra, is, I was in Japan. So for most of 2004, I was living in Japan. And after the shows there, we all go to the bar, restaurant, and everything. And there was a gentleman named Taro who was friends with uh, my coach, uh, Mr. Ishikawa. And he just was sitting at the table and he just showed me this thing where he transforms his arm into this little kind of 
wooden puppet type thing. And I remember looking at Mr. Ishikawa and being like, I don't get it. What is that? He goes, oh, it's just a funny thing he does, you know? So he made me try it. The next time I saw him, he's like, do you remember how to do it? You know? And that was it. Like, that was it. That was just a little funny thing between us. I'm guessing about five years later, I believe it was Atlanta. And I was wrestling either Chavo or Carlito. I think it was Chavo. And I said, hey, I'm going to try something during my comeback. So it's like, you know, jab and clothesline or whatever, punch. And then I, I stop and do this transformation of my arm. And I hit him. He turns away into a schoolboy. And without seeing it on TV, the audience immediately laughed. So, and like Cena, I always sat beside Cena. So he came back. I came back through the curtain. He's like, ah, I would keep that if I were you. That, like, that was funny. And so I was doing it only on live events. And then one day I go to TV and Ricky Steamboat was my producer. And he's like, uh, I was wrestling Zack Ryder. And he goes, you know, you're going over with the, with the Cobra. Vince wants to see the Cobra. I'm like, Vince knows about the Cobra? He goes, yeah, he reads the reports. And I go, okay. So then, yeah, I did the, I did the, but the Cobra was crazy. Like in three weeks, really quickly, I would gesture for it. I would see in my peripheral vision, like the entire arena, like jumping up. And they're doing it with you too. And I'm like, really? Like, I'm okay. They they like it. I mean, I didn't find it that spectacular, but they loved it. So, and then I think I did it for like a year without the the sleeve. And then we introduced the, the sleeve. That's brilliant marketing. Is that the piece of merchandise that you made the most money on? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. More than t-shirts, for sure. It's funny. I was calculating the money, but I miscalculated, the, you know, the percentages and everything. I thought of making, like, I'm going to make extra $1,000 a day for doing nothing, you know? And it was not $1,000 a day. But, but to be able to turn that into a, like, it was brilliant to, to do the motion, but then to, like, actually put the sleeve on there, and now the kids can buy the sleeve. Whose ever idea that was? That's brilliant. I think Damien Sandow told me about the, the to, to to get a piece of merchandise. But one of the biggest compliments I ever had, I was doing a signing. This guy came up to me and he said, "Hey, um, when I was in elementary school, they had to ban the Cobra from my school, like on the <laughs> announcements, because everyone was cobraing each other." That and is like, so good. That's like I'm, that's like ah, I made it. That's like you know, pop culture mainstream. Like if the Cobra has to be banned, the Cobra's over. Because in my time, suck it was banned. Okay, you couldn't yeah. be running around saying suck it to people. <laughs> the cobra, is, it's a deadly move, right? Like nobody kicks out of the cobra. Once. You know, just once. Daniel Bryan. That is pretty crazy though that you do a move like that and like it's over. Yeah. And it's funny because people would like um, look forward to putting it over. <clears throat> JTG has one of the best cells ever. He does like that kind of neuro, like neurotoxin cell. Um, Myers did a flip bump one time. Uh, that was a bit too much. But uh, no, I mean, Cena said if he ever takes the Cobra, he's not moving for like half an hour, you know. I put it up there with the people's elbow because it's a move that probably shouldn't be a finisher, but it's so incredibly entertaining the crowd is so into it that it works. Well, it's funny because when you're in school, they tell you to come up with a finisher that you can do to anybody. Right. And this is literally, you can do that to anybody. It's a little chicken peck. And um, I mean, like, I can be 70 years old and make an appearance somewhere and someone pokes me and says, you're an old man. And out comes the cobra and I give him a chicken, That's true. chicken peck to yeah. the neck. And uh, yeah, I can do it forever. <laughs> Was it your idea to grow out the unibrow? Oh my God. No, it was mascara actually. So I don't remember how or when I first did it, but 
So you're saying all these years later, it was not a real unibrow? No, God, no. It's just, but it went on really, it went on, okay, you know, mascara has the brush and the bristles, yeah. so I, I, it takes two seconds. It's go, boop, boop, and it's like, done. And um, it's funny, there was a kid at the airport who worked at the airport who had a legitimate unibrow, and he was so happy to see me. Because There's like- Representation. Like, look, I'm like you. And then he looks at me like, like where is yours? You know, and I'm like, sorry, man. <laughs> But, uh, but Vince thought it was hilarious. So then when I tried to stop doing it, I had to keep doing it. Well, yeah. I mean, that was part of the gimmick. And then I think I was, was either injured or I had some time off. And, and uh, I came back and I, I didn't do it. <laughs> no one noticed. But one day I tried to do like a different, a uh, little bit of a change to Santino. I got like my eyebrows kind of done, some highlights. And, and I went tanning. And, and Vince's like, no, 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 no. Too, too handsome for Santino. So, yeah, I had to dyed my hair back and put the unibrow back. And then the speed walk was the same thing. Speed walk. Like it was funny in the beginning, but like, Vince wanted me to go around the ring twice. And I'm like, it's just like, but whatever, whatever Vince wants, Vince gets. But this goes back to what I was just saying. Like everything that you did, it got over. Like the silliest, most ridiculous things you would get over. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, if, if I do it now, the speed walk, even for a little bit, it's, it's, I guess it's nostalgic now for some people. Can you turn the accent on? Like that? Yeah. Like we could do the rest of the interview with the accent? Of course we can. No problem. <laughs> That's incredible. When you talk about WrestleMania moments, is WrestleMania 25 considered your WrestleMania moment? Is that the Santino one? Yeah. I love uh, that you didn't even know. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm bad with the years and the numbers. Um, it's Oddly enough, that was my biggest WrestleMania moment, actually. Um, I was the captain of uh, Team Teddy. Um, I had a match with uh, with Kofi uh, in, uh, against Big Show and, and, and Kane, so I, I, had some, I had some matches, but that was uh, like the most highlighted, spotlighted moment in WrestleMania. What was the lead up to that? So the lead up was the storyline with with Beth Phoenix and myself, right. where I was just trying to I was battling to be the alpha in the relationship. So the the relationship dynamics was was what we were going after. And, you know, I was insecure and I'm trying to show that men are better athletes. So I'm going to dress up as a woman and enter the women's battle royal. And the whole idea was just for their storyline with Beth and I. And it was supposed to be a one-off, but it was so funny that it ended up lasting for months and months. I had to get fake lashes every day and all that stuff. I had to go shopping in Houston at a mall for like the, the gear that day. What? Yeah. How did you know what to look for? Um, how did I, I got, so the arms, I got fishnet stockings and I cut off the feet and I cut like the crotch out and then I put my arms. So that was like a crop top, fishnet crop top. Um, I think somebody made the skirt and then it was just like pink converse and a bra. I went and bought a bra and uh, it's funny because I said to the lady, excuse me, do you have a bra that'll fit me? She was all, oh, this is in Texas. She's you're a little itty bitty thing, no problem. And like, the, the, yeah, the bra, the bra was not a problem. And then, um, yeah, the wig and and it's so funny. I had the strap. You can see the strap for the wig, so it didn't fall off. But I still have the stuff at home too. I went to Hot Topic and bought like a belt. And was there any point when this is being pitched to you when you're like, ah, that can't be serious. That I'm gonna I'm gonna wrestle as a woman at WrestleMania. Yeah. So my understanding. And what one of my, my original coach, Don Koloff, said is like when, they, when you dress as a woman, it's like the, 
they're squeezing out the, the last bit of water out of, out of the rag type mm-hmm. thing. Like mm-hmm. this kind of could be the end, but it wasn't. No, we, we, we came back and we were Santino for years after that. And, and um, I was a little concerned about that. Like, oh no, like how do you come back from that? Right? Do, doing it, I had no problem. Actually, some of my, my, my best work ever, to be honest, in terms of acting and bringing the character to life. Because now I had to have superimposed two accents, the Italian accent and a woman's voice. So, yeah, and some of the pre-tapes we did as Santina were hilarious. I, I, there, and when Santina said goodbye to the WWE Universe, I started crying for real backstage. I remember Josh Matthews was there, and he's like, when it was cut, he was like, oh my God, that was like an Oscar performance. I started really getting tears. Like, I just got into it. I like, got into the character. Yeah, Santino was actually pretty fun. It's amazing because, like you said, that's, that's often the last gimmick for people. You were able to move on from that, almost win the Royal Rumble, almost win the WWE Championship. That moment at WrestleMania, or sorry, at the Royal Rumble in 2011, where it's you and Del Rio left in there, that crowd really wanted you to win the Rumble. Yeah, and again, when I talk to guys, you know, kind of around our age that watch wrestling with their friends, they're like, we, we thought you were, you were going to WrestleMania. You were going to main event WrestleMania. And they were like, and we were good with it. Yeah. You know, we, we, were, we were good. It was like, okay. They, it kind of felt that the momentum was going that way. And, uh, and then the Elimination Chamber, yeah. Like that, um, it's funny. I didn't really realize the, the magnitude of the, the crowd reaction. But when I watch it back, because even when I came back, Cena's like, I know what I'm capable of. And he goes, I cannot get that crowd that hot tonight. You know, because that was insane. Everyone in the back, uh, I got, you know, a handful of standing ovations in my career. And uh, that was one when I came back and everyone was, and I honestly thought that there was going to be an audible called and, and uh, I was going to win the title. And uh, Mike Kyoto was watching Vince the whole time, watching me, watching Vince, watching. He's, he's, he said that he, he thought also Vince was about to call an audible. So like in the ring? They would have... Like the referee would have came and said, change of plan, Santino's going over. Wow. And uh, it's happened in the past. I, sure. just, I just felt like the momentum was there. And I don't know how close it was, to be honest, if, if, if that was even going to happen. But, but there was something about you putting the sleeve on, hitting the Cobra, and like up to that point, no one's kicked out of this. No one. With the sleeve. Seamus kicked out once without the sleeve, but with the sleeve, no one had ever kicked out. So it's like, well, this is it. It's a foregone. We've got a new champion. Yeah, so Pete Dunne was actually telling me that they, they call it Okay, um, they call it a Santino spot. When you're putting together a match, if it is, um, how do you describe it? It's like a last-ditch effort, like a fake surprise victory where the guy's getting beaten up and all of a sudden small package and you think, oh my God, he's going to beat him kind of thing. Um, And the whole idea is if everybody in the audience thinks that he's going to win, it's a huge swerve. They call it the Santino spot because everybody thought that was it. But from almost winning the Royal Rumble to then making history with the fastest Royal Rumble elimination. Yeah. Do you think you could have done that even faster? I, I know how to beat the record. I'm, I'm the only one that knows how to do it. <laughs> well, no one's done it yet. Uh, but that's a perfect example of the, when you're given lemons, you make lemonade. You know, when they were going, we were going through the Rumble and Dean Malenko was like, you know, you're coming out, you're getting eliminated pretty fast. I said, man, it's cool, you know. I go, can we uh, try and break the record? And he's like, let me get back to you. What was he, the record at that point? Like two seconds. I think it was the Warlord. Yeah. And um, he, 
came back to me and said, by the way, you're, you're good on trying to break the record. So, so Kane had a huge part in that. He had to be there at that moment. Right. I slid under, stood up, and I'm gone. I'm going. And he, he was there, man. He was there. Like, it was perfect. And it's 1.09 seconds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You think you can beat that? Yeah. Do you think you'll get an opportunity? Um, I don't know. I don't know. You're, you're doing great stuff right now in Impact Wrestling. Oh man, I love Impact Wrestling. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, and the thing is, because I have small children at home, so to go back on the road full time is like a terrifying thought of that yeah, that yeah. that missing out that time. So this schedule is is right up my alley. Incredible locker room, incredible management. Um, has that underdog feel, you know? Because you don't have those like those huge huge money behind it, but the, the in ring product is awesome it's so good and there is unfortunately a lot of wrestling fans out there that don't watch anything really other than wwe or perhaps other than wwe and AEW. but if you've never seen a josh alexander match yeah stop what you're doing right now and put one on man every time he comes out you feel like you're witnessing something special yeah he has that and i talked to my students about that um however he does it like try and emulate that because it's awesome it feels real yeah. Yeah, it feels really real. I was surprised that you were able to come out as Santino Morella. Yeah, so the big thing, I guess, in 2021, somebody did not renew the trademark. And as a habit, when Impact gets guys that were former WWE guys, they look up the trademarks. Just, you know, they have to come up with a name for me. Well, what can they call me? Saint Tino or, you know, something? It could be Anthony. Yeah, no, nobody wants to see Anthony. <laughs> I found out, you know, nobody really wants to see Anthony. Uh, they're in fact disappointed when they see Anthony, <laughs> but um, it was available. Impact grabbed it, and they say, hey, "Great news! You know, you can be." Uh, which, which makes it so I was going to have a great time anyway. But the fact that I can be Santino Morella and be the genuine article and not of uh, a knockoff. Yeah, it's it, it was just the icing on the cake. I can't believe they didn't renew that because they renew everybody's trademarks. I, I I wonder why. I, I wonder. I mean, either somebody dropped the ball and you know, with COVID and maybe there's some changes or, or maybe they thought, what's the point of really holding on to it if we're not going to make money on it? But it's like a few hundred bucks to renew this, the trade. Oh, I don't even know. I didn't, I, I never even looked actually. Yeah. Oh, so you don't know what impact on impact on it, but they let me use it anywhere I want. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's amazing to me that as we sit here right now, there are still people that are blown away that you don't speak with an Italian accent. <laughs> yeah, I know. But it's funny because I put stuff out on social media with in, in uh, my regular voice. Yeah. And if I'm doing a promotional video for an independent thing, I'll do my, my accent. So I do both, really. But yeah, some people they still haven't heard it. If we were to have Santino pop in here for a second, what's your favorite match of all time, Santino? As Santino? Yeah. Oh, there was a one times... I was wrestled with uh, Drew McIntosh. It was a blindfold match. It was here in Las Vegas, as a matter of <laughs> factuality. And uh, I won the blindfold match. And uh, later on, Josh McIntosh. <laughs> Josh McIntosh. Um, he became the champion. So I beat a current champion. <laughs> I love that it's just like that. Well, it's funny because I'll be doing a pre, like, uh, let's say we're doing a pre-tape backstage, and yeah. I'll be like talking like this to somebody in the three, two, and it's on, right? It's just, mm -hmm. it's just, I can flick the switch. But you're not like uh, Daniel Day Lewis. You got to live in that character all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not going method. Yeah, what I met, we were out once, and this is uh, before I met my wife, and this girl, she, it's like, she liked Santino, <laughs> like, didn't like me. And I'm like, well, you want me to just pretend I'm Santino if, if we go on a date or something? Like, I, Anyway, yeah. can we only go to Italian restaurants? <laughs> That's what she's saying. Yeah, her face when I just stopped the accent was like, uh, what happened? <laughs> so you mentioned it. You have small kids. You have three kids. Yes. Uh, WWE fans will be familiar with your oldest kid. She's crushing it. She, yeah. So she, she's she's crushing it in NXT. Yeah. So she was identified young. Bianca, but Ariana. Ariana Grace. Ariana Grace. When she was a child, you know, everyone would just come up to me and like, this kid's like going to be something. She's like a superstar. She's going to be prime minister. She can do anything. She was just articulate and her, her personality was, it was incredible, right? So now all of a sudden I have all this pressure, like I have to be able to nourish this. I have to be able to get her where she needs to go. If she has all this potential and this talent, she doesn't become a superstar. It's because I didn't, it's because I dropped the ball. Mm. So we, we, had, we had some very serious conversations when she was eight years old. And I'm like, you know, you, you're born to be a superstar. And she was eight. And I said, I, I don't know how to take you to Hollywood. I, I, don't, I don't know how to get you there. But what I, I'm, what I can do is I'm pretty good at this wrestling thing. And WWE, you know, they, they make movies, WWE Studios. So I'm going to go become a professional wrestler. And then we'll come make those connections and then I'll pull you in. You know, that was the plan. The 18 year plan, we call it. And, um, I, so I had to go, I left, I had to go to Japan for a year and I went to, um, Kentucky for a couple of years and it was hard for us, you know, both of us, it was very hard, but, uh, it, it paid off, you know, it paid off when she got signed, mm. not, not when I got signed. She definitely has this it factor, this charisma that when the camera's on her, whether she's cutting a promo or she's in the ring, you can see she has it. Yeah, she cut a promo when she was uh, 11 years old at OVW. So she was down visiting me. And um, it's a promo day was like Tuesdays. And I said to Al Snow, I said, can Bianca cut a promo? And he's like, yeah, of course. Like he, you know, he thought that was great. So the next, the next promo class, it was the end of class. And I guess he thought 
or I was just, you know, wasn't serious kind of thing. But I, anyway, so at the end of formal class, I go, can she do it? He's like, yeah, of course. So she went in the ring and she crushed it. And it was like, uh, you know, those like uh, comedy movies where someone makes a speech and it's like quiet for two seconds and then everyone erupts. Yeah. It was one of those things. And everyone that was there, uh, who, Maurice was there, Miz was there, Beth Phoenix was there, um, Alicia Fox was there. Anyway, I mean, people I can remember because every time they like, they always mention that promo. And uh, yeah, she crushed it. <laughs> I think it's on my Instagram somewhere. So 20 plus years later, you're a dad again. How different is it this time around? Oh my God. So I loved being a dad when Bianca was little. I had Bianca in university. Wow. Like, Where'd you go to university? Concordia. Oh, wow. I went to Laurier. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, so between second and third year, Bianca was born. Wow. And uh, my university was, uh, experience was very different. Sure. I was a national champion my first year. I met her mom that summer. You know, she was on the way in second year. She was born in the summer. And, um, you know, we were living in Montreal together, uh, third year. And then by fourth year, I had to go back by myself to finish my degree. So it was, it was, it was hard. And at the, and during this whole time, I'm on the national judo team and wrestling in university. It was, when I look back, I'm like, how the hell did I even like do that? You know, it's, it's crazy. But at the time it was just what, what it was, you know, uh, but I loved it. I loved talking to her. I loved like, I just driving and she's in the backseat, the best conversations, you know, grocery shopping was fun, you know, just talking and teaching. And she, and she's, she was amazing. And I always thought I'd have more. And then I'd be on the road and, um, I'd be thinking, I'm like, am I just a parent of one? Like, am I, if it is, that's great. You know, it's, it's awesome. It was an awesome experience. I go, I just feel like there's supposed to be more coming, man. And I'm like, but the, the clock is ticking, you know, I'm getting older and stuff. And, um, yeah, I met my wife in uh, 2014 and, um, we we're on the same page, man. we wanted a family and stuff. So now I got my son, Marco, who's four and, uh, my daughter, Milena, who's one and a half. And you know, when someone is, let's say walking down here and they're like, and you go, this guy's in love. Yeah. I'm like that every single day. Oh, I love that. I wake up and I, I'm, I don't even post stuff because I don't want to be that guy that, okay, we get it. Your life is awesome, you know? And I, I don't want to show off, but I'm living, uh, I'm, in, I'm in love. I'm in love with my, my kids. I'm in love with my life. I'm in love with where, where we live. And I'm excited to go to bed because I can't wait to get up mm. and, and do it again. And I hear my daughter, you know, starting to talk now. So, And it's, it's incredible. And it wasn't always like this, man. When I was... Um, before COVID, I was working seven days a week at Battle Arts and putting on shows and birthday parties and all that stuff. And um, I was dreading the next day. I, you know, I wouldn't go to bed. I'd collapse on my bed, 16-hour days. And I'm like, I'm not enjoying this. It's, I'm not enjoying this. It sucks. I'm trapped here. And I had so many different opportunities come my way that I couldn't take because I had to work. I had to be at the gym. I had to do everything. And um, in 2020, uh, I sold part of the gym. So I have partners that run the day-to-day. -day. I got my, like, my life back. And, um, and now I look forward to every single, every single day. Mm. It's, it's an incredible blessing, to be honest. Um, I don't even want to, sometimes I don't want to show my, even my yard, you know, like, uh, it's just, I just don't want to be a show-off guy, you know. But it's, it's amazing. And, and my son, like, 
So you have these blank canvases yeah. that you can just paint and instill and, and teach. And uh, it's not brainwashed, but it's kind of, you know, like my son is four and I'm trying to make him, like, like my daughter is very, very conscious, right? And I said, look, look, we're the lucky ones, man. There's people that can't walk. We can. And we're lucky. There's people that don't have food. We do. We're the lucky ones. And he understands the concept that we are the fortunate ones, you know? Mm. Um, and just watching him grow and develop into this, this mindful little boy. It's, he's like the perfect little boy. Like he wants to play. He wants to play fight. Um, wants to, he's like, he, he likes to cuddle. Like, he lets me carry him and stuff. But the first time I get action figures and this guy talks and this guy talks. And I see him. He was like one and a half or two. And he's like, okay, I get it. You play the voices for those guys. And like the next day he's playing with action figures. So, and, and, and you can tell them everything you want, but they're watching. Yeah. They're watching. And um, it, people don't realize that. They, you know, some people say, oh, do as I say, not as I do. No, they're watching. I'm soaking all this in right now. Oh my God, yeah. It's, I'm, I'm going to be a dad in three months. I know, it's crazy. It is crazy. I, like, I knew it would happen eventually. And now that, you know, we decided, all right, we're ready to have kids. You, and- you, you know what it is? We're having a girl. Hey, oh, okay. So every, every, no, every guy, every guy wants a boy. I think The Rock said it, but every guy needs a girl. Like my little daughter is like my, my heart. Like I melt, like I melt. And it's actually bringing back memories of Bianca. When I hold, I just like, oh my God, cuddling. And it just, it's weird. Like God, I've, last time I cuddled with Bianca, she was, she was in grade eight. And we're on the couch. I'm like, Going to puberty, man. Like it's just, it just, it's not right, man. You know, it's, they always say that there's that phrase of like, you never know the last time you're going to pick up your kid oh my for God. the last time. Oh, you're going to make me cry, man. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I picked up Bianca, but even my, <laughs> my son now, he still lets me carry him. But um, Damien Sandow was over at the house and we were coming up to the house and he, he did a, put me down, you know, for a second. I was like, oh. oh. So that was a little one. And, and, uh, even there's there's these stages like Bianca was little and she, I closed the door. I'm, she's in the bathroom, eh? like get out, privacy. I'm like sure. what? I'm like two, man. <laughs> um, I lost my train of thought. I just don't know what uh, I don't know what it's gonna oh, bring for. Yes, yeah, so 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 the first six months kind of boring. They literally you look at them and you just it's wonder and amazement. But then when they get mobile, crawling and walking, that's shit hits the fan, right? Now you gotta like you, you can't turn away. And um, that's the most dangerous time when they can walk. That's like, you know, like in the cartoons when they walk off and the, the I-beam comes up and they go on <laughs> yeah. different floors. And, and then um, when they can talk, they love the fact that they can communicate. Like up, down, no, hot, whatever, like basic words. But then when you can really have conversations, that is the best. When you can actually tell, when you can actually teach. Um, I took a picture last week. It's just me driving. My son's in the back. And this is, that's my classroom. When I drive him to whatever, you know, um, those are the best conversations. Mm-hmm. We talk about everything, you know, life in general, you know, it's, it's it, it, yeah. Do you think you have two more pro wrestlers growing up in your house right now? Well, Marco re, uh, recently, he hasn't watched a lot of my stuff, but he said when he grows up, he wants to be a wrestler, but uh, you know, yeah, I don't know. He, he, he's going to have the opportunity to watch his sister. Yeah. So Bianca watched me. 
she was in, you know, uh, what was she when I debuted? I was, she was 12 when I debuted. So, yeah, she wasn't a kid already. But he's going to, yeah, he's going to watch his sister. Yeah. And the, the youngest one is the aggressive one. You give a lot of hope. Like, when you talk about, like, everyone focuses on DDP, not starting wrestling until he was 35. Like, this is the same type of story that I, I don't think gets enough focus that you were later on in your career when you got that opportunity. Yeah, I was uh, 31 when I started learning, like, um, like WWE-style wrestling, you know. I didn't, I didn't lock up till I was 31. See, that's amazing. There's so many people that are 27 that go, oh, I'm too old now to go to wrestling school, so that's too bad. It's not going to happen. Yeah, no. I mean, you know what? Um, I had the ability to make it very believable in anything I did, and I brought, I just I brought it to life, you know? And there's a big difference when you play a wrestler or you become a wrestler, you know? Bully Ray, we were talking about him earlier. When he cuts a promo, he's legitimately mad at you. Mm. And he's, he's not pretending to be mad. He's mad. He taps right into it, and it's real. And that's the, every good actor is like that. Mark Henry one time scared the hell out of me. <laughs> Before we went out there, he just looked at me and said, when I get out there, I'm bulletproof. And I was like, okay, like smile and say just joking. Like, but, you know. <laughs> And the look in his eye, I'm like, he wasn't my friend for a second, man. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> yeah. Was he bulletproof when you got out there? He is bulletproof. I remember one time, I think Ryback was like throwing me over the top rope. And they go, Mark Henry's going to catch you. Oh. <laughs> he didn't even take a step back. I guess, <laughs> yeah, it was, he's obviously the world's strongest man. <laughs> like legit, legit. Who was your favorite person to be in the ring with? Um, oh, that's interesting. That's a good question. Um, so Jack Swagger and I had this hilarious match that we just, it was like, there wasn't a wasted step. We, we wrestled a lot. So we did it all the time. We would tweak it and modify it. And it was like, I don't want to say it was the perfect match, but I mean, it was, it was, there wasn't a wasted step. And we, the audience popped every time. The referees were, were popping. The doctor was popping. You know, it, it was, it was a fun match. So that was a lot of fun. Um, tagging. The Usos, like when Vladimir Kozlov and myself were tagging, like the Usos are like amazing. Like mm -hmm. I didn't have to look. I knew they were there. And I, they were always where they had to be at the right time. And I could just bank on them. Yeah. Uh, Primo and Epico, awesome wrestlers. Um, I guess those, those are my, my, some of my favorites. Yeah. What you're doing right now, I think is really interesting and in impact because the title you've given yourself or the title that they've given you, has, that's never been a term in wrestling before, the DOA. Yeah, and that's, you know, what's the other option? Uh, general manager. General manager. Uh, I mean, there's a whole bunch of them. Yeah, but, but this, is, it's, this is new, right? It's, 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 that's the whole idea is to not just repeat. But, it, but it's that you're also like DOA, like a three-letter uh, organization, you're coming out with the, uh, the, the badge. badge around your neck. It's great. I, yeah, I love it. When, when like the I, DEA. Yeah, or like the FBI jacket yeah. and stuff. And I actually went and bought like um, tactical pants and tactical boots. Tactical boots are expensive. They're like $400. What? Like police boots, yeah. Should have just bought the actor version of those. <laughs> but it's funny, like I flipped the badge and now I'm working with uh, Dirty Dango. He's my deputy yeah. and stuff. So we have tons of fun. I was reading some of my, my like, lines I have today coming up when they go we're doing TV today. And uh, I'm laughing reading them. It's just funny. It's, there's some really, really funny stuff. 
And if you like comedy, you know, Impact Wrestling is, is where I'm at, so that's where it's at. With everything you've done in your career, do you think that you've had a Hall of Fame career? I don't know. People say... You're like, I hate this question. No, my friends, my friends tell me that. JTG used to always say that. He's like, even if you stop now, you have a Hall of Fame career. 100%. And, and really? Of I course. Yeah, I mean, for the, for the comedy category. I, I was, there's no category. Well, there's a celebrity wing, and then there's everybody else. Yeah, I, I have, man, I, if they do it, that would be a, a great honor, actually. I'd have my daughter induct me. You know? um, yeah, I, I, I was kind of stepped away, and I was kind of done being on the road, and I was kind of over being Santino, and I wanted to be just myself again, and I was. I was myself, and I So WWE, for example, is not even my last chapter. Yeah. It's like three chapters ago. Yeah. And battle arts is a huge chapter in my life. Um, we're coming on 10 years in 2020. There was Labor Day 2023 is 10 years since we opened. Wow. Fastest 10 years of my life. And then moving up north is a whole other chapter. That was, I've never lived in the country before. I've always lived in cities. And then the kids, you know, it's a whole other chapter. So like, the, like WWE's, and then coming back on the road um, with a lighter schedule is, is amazing. You know, it's, 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 Another chapter. When the chapter closed with WWE, did you hang on for another few months or a year going, oh, they'll bring me back. Oh, this, this can't be forever. Um, no, because I had my neck issues, right? I had a double cervical fusion. I couldn't wrestle anymore. And I knew that the clock was ticking. So I started my business while I was still there. But you didn't need to wrestle to be Santino. You yeah, I thought they were going to keep me around, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to do a general manager gimmick there. But uh, I was... I was, I was cool with it, man. It was nice to, um, this strange liberating feeling actually when it's like I'm me again. Like I like me, right? Me got me there. Mm. I was hungry and uh, some of the best memories in the wrestling business is not when you, you made it, is when you were hungry and you were, I was living in a, a little uh, efficiency apartment in Louisville, you know, checking the price of, of food to make get the cheaper one. Like I was stretching. I couldn't work in the U.S., so I just I was living off savings, and um, God, man, they didn't get you a visa. No, for OVW. Oh, OVW. I just drove down as a student. I had rented an apartment. Probably shouldn't even. They probably shouldn't have rented me one. I was just like a tourist, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, my bank account was just going down and down and down and down and down, and um, I actually ran out of money um, the day before I got signed, and. My mom, who worked at the bank, was like, you know, Anthony, you know, uh, your bank account's getting kind of low. And I'm like, it's coming. They say it's coming. They say it's coming. They're like, hold on, it's coming. And, you know, I get some, some you know, someone would give me the Iggy, like, you know, the office is talking about you, man. They're watching. They keep going. You're doing good. I was the only non-contracted guy on, on OVW television. And um, I cashed in, like, RSPs. I did everything, everything. I had to borrow 400 bucks, actually, once for my mom. And then the next day, I got the call. So people are like, uh, oh, you know, you got your dream job. And I go, you know what was better? Avoiding disaster. Because I would have had to go home, 32 years old, parents' basement, yeah. with uh, my daughter. Would have, you know, how do, how, do, how do you explain, like, I didn't get the job done? Mm. You know, like, uh, I would have to reformulate a game plan. I mean, I didn't want to think about it. What the hell would have happened if I didn't get signed? I was all in. I was like the definition of all in. I was all in. 
So with that story in mind and the fact that you were right up there on the brink of not being able to do this, what do you tell your students when they're trying to break into the business? Well, Dr. Tom told me, he goes, there's three kinds of people in this business. Uh, those that say, oh, I'll give it a shot. Those that say, uh, I'll, I'll try my best. And those that say, I'll do whatever it takes. And I, I did, I, I knew which category I was in immediately. I did whatever it took, whatever mm-hmm. it took. Um, it's tough being a coach because the success rate is very low. Uh, I've had hundreds of students and I've had two or three people get signed, you know? Um, if you walk in and you're not attractive and you're not strong, like you're skinny and like, yeah, there's anomalies, but you can't bank on being an anomaly. You know, you have to really uh, improve your, your odds by looking like a pro. Yeah. Like, and you don't have to figure out how to train and how to eat. That's out there. You just got to have discipline. And some guys, I use this analogy all the time. Um, I went to the Louis Vuitton store in Paris. There's Randy and Ray, Ray, like Louis Vuitton. And I saw a wallet. And I'm like, I could rock a Louis Vuitton wallet. 6,000 euros. I'm not willing to pay that price for this. And a lot of guys that want to be professional wrestlers, when I say to them, listen, you got to train 10 times a week minimum. If not 12, I mean, you have to do, uh, I was training three times a day at OVWs. I was away from my daughter and I'm like, if I'm going to be suffering like this, I'm going to maximize every second. I go to private classes at Rip Rogers in the morning. I go to LAC, the gym, and just like train like crazy. Come back for Al Snow's class. I I trained like, I burnt myself out at one point. I got sick and I had to take a week off. And that, I I wanted to reach that point, to know that I was doing everything I could. If I never burnt out, how did I know I was doing as as much as I could? Mm. Um, but a lot of students, when I say, look, you got to train 12 times a week and like, not willing to pay that price, just like the Louis Vuitton wallet. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's, that's a conversation you have to have with yourself. If you're not willing to pay the price, then you don't, you don't get it. Right. But sometimes guys walk in six, six, good looking. All right. There's, there's a softball. You know what I mean? I'm blown away by the people who have been wrestling fans their whole life, go to wrestling school when they're 18, 20, whatever it happens to be. And they've never stepped foot inside a gym like to lift weights. But I'm just like, I don't get it. Like you've watched wrestling your whole life. Maybe you're not going to look like the ultimate warrior, but you should at least get some cardio in you. You should at least get some muscle definition, some tone. That that blows me away. Yeah. I mean, so with my students, I have a conversation. I said, what are your goals? You want to work the indies? If that, if that, which is a completely valid goal. Yeah. I, I, had a, I had a female student that said that. She was, I just want to work the Ontario Indies. Mm-hmm. Great, that's doable. And when she got to a point where she was good enough, she now works the Indies. And, uh, but if you, want, if you tell me, like, honestly and legitimately that you want to do this for a living at the highest level, then we have an understanding. Okay, let's get to work. And if you're not changing your physique over a year, I'm probably going to lose interest in you as a student because you, you, you don't want it. Mm. I, I, I'm going to, like, you know, you can lead a horse to water. We can't make them drink kind of right. thing. So if, and if I give you, I give you a prescription. It's okay. You are going to work out this many days a week. This is, this is your diet. I even give them diets. I give them workouts. And if you don't do it, it's imagine going to the doctor and saying, uh, I'm not getting over this pneumonia. Did you take the medicine? No. Well, then get out of here. You know, go, go take the medicine. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we, we have that understanding. You know? Yeah. What do you think of some of the other comedy gimmicks that are going on right now? Like two that come to mind right now that are very popular, Danhausen and Orange Cassidy. Yeah, well, I, uh, Orange Cassidy, uh, I had a conversation with him. He's, he's great. 
He got like secretly got ripped there too, eh? And that guy can work. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. I actually was showing my son had his hands in his pockets and he fell in the snow in his face. So I actually was showing him Orange Cassidy stuff and how he fights with his hands in his pockets. No, he's great. He's great. And and it's um the creativity is incredible. Yeah. Dan Housen, I'm, I'm, I, I love his character. I'm, I'm not as familiar with the in-rings. I don't watch a lot of wrestling, to be honest. You know, I, I'm watching Treehouse. You'll be watching Treehouse, too. You'll know all about the Wiggles. Oh, the Wiggles. Wake up, Jeff. <laughs> I only That's all I know. Yeah, now it's Lucky. He's a new guy. Oh, Jeff's not there anymore? No. He's still a, sleeping? Yeah, no, there, there was the original four Wiggles, yeah, and yeah. then there's like the new Wiggles, and now there's even like newer Wiggles. Wake up, Jeff. And, and Blippi? You know, I've, I've heard of Blippi. Yeah. I'll be learning about this. It's interesting. I pointed this out to other people that if you look, if you go to AEW's YouTube channel and you look at their top 10 clips, Orange Cassidy is in like six or seven of them. Oh, wow. Because his stuff's so shareable, right? You don't have to be a wrestling fan to watch an Orange Cassidy clip or be shown an Orange Cassidy, Cassidy clip and go, oh, I get it. That's pretty funny. Yeah, he's 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 great. And I, we were talking because uh, some people, you know, on, online would say that that's like a dream comedy match between him and I and stuff like that. Could it happen? I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna wrestle uh, probably quarterly, like four four or five times a year. My body's it's very banged up, and and uh, you, you know you don't really have to take a lot of bumps though. No, but I it's just uh, any bumps or some like uh, maybe a herniated disc in my back mm. and. and uh, I showed up to wrestling banged up already from, you know, years and years of judo and amateur. And judo is like super, it's um, impactful, you know, it's throws, right? So yeah, we're practicing yeah. bang, 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 getting slammed like hundreds of times in practice and stuff. And um, yeah, so I, I, I've, my workouts now basically consist of uh, like rehab type exercises. I'm strengthening, you know, my hip flexors and my adductors and my glutes. And like, it's not just chest and back anymore. It's all these like tibialis and all these other small muscles. Um, I do want to do a, I'm, I'm turning 49 next month. So uh, when I turn 50, I want to compete at a, a world's VJJ uh, for my age, my age group. Um, so I'm kind of, trying to prepare my body to, to go and, and grapple a little, a little more. Well, look, the forbidden door is open from Impact AEW. So you showing up in AEW I actually, have a, I, I saw, to have a match with Orange Cassidy is very possible. Yeah, I, I recently did a, a guest appearance at, uh, for NWA. And uh, yeah, so I mean, the, the working relationships that Impact has with uh, other companies is encouraging. But I will see, you never know. But you're not done. I mean, I'm there. I'm working, right? I mean, I'm uh, I'm on the show. So um, <laughs> if they need me to wrestle, I, I'm sure I could squeeze out a match. You know? It might be hard to narrow it down to just one, but what's your favorite moment in your career? Oh gosh, um, winning the OVW television title—that was my first title ever, and it was an incredible moment. So Boris, uh, has, so I was kind of doing a Russian a little comedic character. And then Paul Heyman was sitting in the rafters and watching us practice one day and caught me in the parking lot. He said, I want to debut you uh, on OVW television as this very serious Russian MMA shoot fighter. We're going to change your name. Oh, Cause my first coach was Don Kolov. So I was Boris. So Rip Rogers gave me the nickname Boris. So I had this, you know, epiphany. I'll be Boris Kolov. Cause I think there hasn't, there hadn't been that rendition at the time. So I was Boris Koloff for a while. And then 
Paul Heyman changed me to Boris Alexiev because Vince was a fan of the Russian power uh, Olympic weightlifter Alexiev. So just that name recognition, you know, which is which was I thought was brilliant. And I'm like, well, how are these guys going to believe me? I've kind of been doing some comedy stuff. I'm in the intermediate class. And in, uh, he said, three weeks, they're going to forget anything, like, anything that you did in the past. So I came out and squashed someone. Next week, came out, squashed someone. Next week, came out, squashed someone. And then when my music would hit after that, it was like the atmosphere in the Davis Arena was insane. People, like, people would be going, fight, fight, fight. Like they thought someone was getting their ass whipped. And uh, there was no one really doing the MMA gimmick at the time. I've been doing hard strikes and really, really stiff, strong style, big throws, submissions, and uh, super aggressive. And, and yeah, and uh, was it? you won the uh, TV. Oh, title. the TV title, yeah. So I was, I was making, you know, I'm working up. I was like an unstoppable force, and so I had a tag team partner at the time, Mr. Stronko. But Paul Heyman wanted to put me on TV, so Mr. Stronko became my corner man. So there was a, a little faction in OVW, um, one guy, Bad Seed, and he was pretending he was blind, so he was Blind Seed. So he had the cane, they'd make a distraction. And uh, Mike Cruel, who was <clears throat> an awesome wrestler, Rosa Mendez was in this faction. <clears throat> so they would distract the referee, throw the cane, hit someone, you know, throw it out. So the audience knew that because they did it every week. So finally we collided. And when they throw the cane, Mr. Stronko intercepts the cane. He catches the cane. And the place goes ballistic because they know that's it. There's nothing in the way stopping me now. But Dean Hill, who was a commentator for OBW for many years, the way he called it, Stronko intercepts the cane. And we laugh about it now. I talk to Serena, <clears throat> Serena Deeb, and we'll just text each other, Stronko intercepts the cane or something. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then uh, that was my first title. So it was, it was, it was for a small arena. Yeah. Only 300 and some odd, some odd people. It yeah. was electric. It was oh. real, man. Shawn Michaels even says it. The first time is real, man. Love yeah. that. I was, uh, yeah, I was in tears. It was awesome. Love that. I love that you came by here. And I love that we, I love that we did this in person because the last one was in a completely different world. It was at the end of 2019. Yeah, gosh. We did that at the big event in New York. And a lot, obviously a lot has changed for both of us personally and a lot's changed in the world. So good to just be able to catch up with you. I end every conversation with gratitude because that's a big part of my life. So what are three things in your life you're grateful for? Oh my God. Right now. My entire life. Uh, my, obviously my children. Um, the lifestyle I lead in my health and stuff. Yeah. I, 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 I practice gratefulness every day. So I love I, it. I, I, and, and it's funny because the more you do, the more good stuff happens to you. And the more good stuff you start to see in the world too. Yeah, everything. Yeah. I love that because it's so easy to go. Oh, I can focus on all these negative things here. Or you can flip that over and start to look at all the great things that are happening in your life. Yeah, I, I don't watch uh, television very much. Um, like Treehouse. Treehouse, yeah. I, I don't watch the news. I, I actually, I'm pretty good these days at well, yeah, posting and ghosting. Like I, I, don't, I don't stay online as much. I like to see funny videos or whatever. But, uh, you know, getting into it with people and debating, it's, there's a lot of so much negativity yeah. out there. And I just, I, I want no part of it. I, I, um, I live my life with a sense of urgency. Mm. Like, I want to leave it all in the field. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, 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 every day is an adventure. Every day is an opportunity to do something fun. I want to have like, the most fun life. And now yeah. it's like le legacy. Um, yeah, I just, 
my, my email is AC to the max. And it's been like, that's my first email ever. And it's because I live my life to the fullest every single day, every day. Um, even if it's making lunch, I try and make it like it's a thing, you know? And Okay, gather around. So everything's a production. I love that. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm, I'm super grateful. Yeah. Well, grateful for this time we spent together. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I just love that guy. Hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did. What a freaking legend. Snap a screenshot, share it on social media, tag us so that we can share it out as well. Santino is at Milan Miracle. I'm at Chris Van Vliet, and I think it's just a matter of time before we see him in the Hall of Fame. I mean, it just makes sense, right? I will leave you with the words of Simon Sinek, who has written one of my favorite books in recent memories called Start With Why. And this quote here, I think, really hits home. When you compete against everyone else, no one wants to help you. But when you compete against yourself, everyone wants to help you. Be great. Be grateful. We will see you on the next one for some more insight. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.